Uh, if you got your Bible, you can turn to, uh, we'll be between Isaiah chapter um, 9 as well, John uh, 14. Um, got several different verses. In fact, um, today's kind of going to be um, a part one of um, a, a message I'm going to build on. And so I hope you'll be here next week um, as I will continue kind of the thought of where we're going today. In fact, um, setting today's message up is a little more information on the front end than I normally will provide. Um, it's just like Legos. Uh, you have to have multiple pieces to build um, what you're building. And so um, over the next couple of weeks, we will kind of stay along with this same thought within the overall series. And so um, I'm in the CSB. So if you use the Version Bible app, um, you can you, uh, turn there in the CSB um, so that you can follow along word for word. But I want you to think about this. According to the National Institute of Health, um, at least one in every three people, and if we had the time, I could count you off, um, or you could almost take you know, a third of this uh, auditorium, one in three of everyone who is in here will experience, 31.1% are likely to experience an anxiety disorder before they die. That's unprecedented. Like 31% of y'all, a third of this auditorium, according to the National Institute of Health, before you die, will experience some kind of anxiety disorder. And some of you are saying, I already do, so I'm already a part of that group. So, but um, anxiety over the, especially the last couple of decades, has been something that has become very familiar. Um, that term you have heard a lot probably lately over even the last couple of years, but it's become this familiar experience, it's become this familiar term. In fact, anxiety is this, a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. In fact, sometimes anxiety is about even uh, a situation that isn't even reality, but it's a thought to be, be a reality and to be something that is imminent in fact, a 2020 report by the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, I didn't even know that existed. Um, there's an actual a, a whole association because of anxiety and depression. Um, they said that the most common cause of anxiety is phobia. Phobia is an irrational fear. And, and so at the root of um, pretty much all um, anxiety is fear, but also the desire to be in control. And so if you really think things out, when we struggle with worry, when we struggle with nervousness, oftentimes it's over things that we don't have control of, but we want to have control over them. And so partially, may, maybe the larger part of our, the things we worry about and the things that give us anxiety would be um, things that we fear, things of something happening, but also it's the, the fact that we're not in control, but we want to be in control. I don't have control, but I want to be in control. I have this desire to control the outcome of my life or the outcome of a situation, but I don't have any control. And so ever since man sinned in the garden, and we looked at that last week, and so if this is your first time um, here or um, you missed last week, you can go back and um, watch last week's sermon on our website or on Facebook. It's archived there. Um, we talked about how man sinned. We looked at Genesis chapter 3 and how that separated man from God and they got kicked out of heaven and how it changed their relationship. But ever since Genesis chapter 3, um, man has had this belief, because that's actually the thing that really caused mankind to sin, was this idea that you could be like God. In fact, the serpent told um, uh, Eve, if she ate of the fruit, God knew that her eyes would be open and she would be like 
God. In fact, Satan's big uh, failure in Isaiah chapter 14, where he falls, where he, he makes these declarations against God, one of those is he's going to set his throne above the heavens, um, above God's, and he will be like the most high God. And so from the beginning of time, from even before the time that you and I were created, there has been this temptation from Satan now to us that we believe that we can be like God, and we can be in control of all things, and we can be in control of our life. But we know, because we face circumstances where we know we don't have control, and that's where worry and uneasiness and nervousness will set in because we want to be in control. We think at times we can control certain things, but yet we also face circumstances where it renders us powerless, where we know we are not sovereign, we are not all-powerful, we aren't all-knowing, and so therefore it causes us, it throws us into chaos. But yet we have this belief that we can be in control. But, but when it comes to fear, we fear things like feeling pain. We don't want to feel pain. We, we, we don't want to feel loss. Um, we fear feeling loss. That's why when someone is sick or when someone's maybe on their deathbed, there's this maybe anxiety, there's this uneasiness or this nervousness of when, are, when am I going to lose them? Am I going to lose them? Are they going to get healed? Um, are they not going to get healed? Are they not going to get better? And so we fear what? Losing that person that we love because we know death is permanent on this side of eternity. And so we fear that because we don't want to feel the pain. We don't want to experience loss. We don't want unfavorable circumstances. No one wants to go through a health crisis or a financial setback or um, any of those difficult things. And so we fear that. We fear the unknown and we fear those circumstances that life brings our way. We fear losing people's acceptance and approval. We, we want people to like us, and that's why sometimes it's hard for you to stand up for what's right or to speak out on what is true and to say what is wrong. Why? Because you might lose um, uh, people's approval or their acceptance of you, and you don't want that. You fear that, and so you start to worry, if I say this, if my child says this, or if this happens, then I might lose their acceptance. They might not like me anymore. They might say mean things about me or whatever that might be. And so there's a whole list of things that we could go through and fears that we struggle with that would cause anxiety or worry or nervousness or uneasiness. Our thoughts are consumed with trying to many, uh, manage as many outcomes as possible so that we don't have to experience those fears. And that's what drives those, that anxiety. Our mind's running all the time. Our, our fears uh, consume our mind about what might happen or what could happen or whatever that might be. But yet life gives us plenty of reasons to um, have anxiety and to worry. Um, just parenting. Um, try having a 19-year-old who wants to go get a motorcycle and buys a motorcycle and is out on the road. And you, hear, you see on the news um, that a motorcyclist is killed. And so you're checking to see where your son is because he, he drives a motorcycle now. That, that's my experience. And you have your own experience with your own kids. And that's why it's so hard to let them go when they get older, because as they get older, as they move out of the house, or as they start to drive, and now they're teenagers, and you have to kind of give them some freedom, you, you fear them getting out of your grasp and out of your control. So parenting alone. Some of you have um, children who are deployed in, in war zones and in places like that. I'm sure that would give you plenty to worry about, plenty of anxiety, plenty of 
fear. For some of you, you're younger, you're kind of young adult college age, or you're going into that, um, that, that season of life, and you fear, am I going to be able to pay for school? Am I going to have the grades in order to get in? Am I going to be accepted? And so that can cause anxiety and worry. Um, financial, especially in this season, ha- having the resources to provide for your family, to put food on the table, to just put gas in the vehicle in order to get to work so that you can earn a, a, a living, um, to put food on the table with inflation and rising costs. It, it could be health-related. That's where a lot of anxiety over the last couple of years has come in with the things like um, COVID and, and the pandemic. And then on top of those things, um, we see just in the first year, from 2020 to 2021, globally, anxiety and depression increased by a massive 25%. That's global over a quarter in a year because of the, the, everything that was related to COVID-19. And some of that wasn't just COVID-19. I mean, we had various groups on all sides of the issue that, that would help stir that COVID-19 or, the, or that anxiety. You, you had other things happening in that time frame that caused other fears and other anxiety, like racial tensions in our country. And, and all of this did great damage to people. And it, it's not hidden. It's not a secret. I mean, it's statistical. But at the same time, well, one statistic, actually, I learned on um, Thursday with our pastor's roundtable from COVID-19, since COVID-19, just the University of Florida, and the guy who was sharing this with us was sharing this because his daughter goes there. They have over 40,000 students at the University of Florida, and they have six on-campus counselors. Now, he said for a university, that's actually on the high end, that most might have two. Ever since 2020, anxiety has been on the rise so much among our college-age students that there is a four, over a four-month waiting list for a student to see a counselor that struggles with anxiety or depression. That's how much of an issue and a problem that we have. We, we cannot just blame it, though, um, on covid In fact, the statistics also say that one in every 10 um, adolescents now struggles with um, anxiety in this way. In 2016, though, the World Health Organization reported that the prevalence of all mental disorders increased 50% worldwide between 1990 and 2013. It went from 416 million cases to 615 million. So that was well before uh, COVID. That was well before over the last couple of years. So to hear that that's increased in a year by 25%, we have a major problem. And as a church and as Christians, I believe that we have the solution, but we can't just blame it on those things because at the same time, in those years, 1990 through, um, uh, what did I say here? 1990 to 2013, um, a 23-year period, Um, There's also something significant that's happening in just our country, but also globally. Um, And that is that there's been somewhat of a falling away from 
the Christian faith, and as we talk about the presence of God last week and how important that is, but also how devastating it is not to have the, the presence of God in our life, when we look at those statistics, but we also see the statistics in the church, and we see that there's an, a, a, a huge increase in the number of people who see no value in Christianity or no value in the church, or they are um, becoming uh, you know, unaffiliated in their faith, they might believe in God, but they really maybe don't believe in Jesus or they don't have faith in him. We see at the same time the trends of anxiety rising and depression rising and mental health disorders rising. At the same time, faith is on the decline. Belief in God is in, on the decline. Valuing God is on the decline. And as we looked at last week, without the presence of God in our life, this is actually exactly what we could expect. This is exactly what we could expect to see in the statistics among people. The presence of God changes everything for man. As we talked about last week, we couldn't get to God. We couldn't do it on our own achievements. We, we couldn't be religious enough. If you're here today thinking that you can be good enough, you can be religious enough to get to God, you will be disappointed because you can't. Just coming to church will not spare you from even struggling with things like anxiety and depression. Just being here doesn't even mean you're a Christian. It doesn't even mean that you know Jesus. And so um, if you're here to check off a religious box, you'll still fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says. And so um, we could not get to God. There was a group of people in the Old Testament who tried to build a tower to get to God, the Tower of Babel. They wouldn't have been able to do it anyway. Um, by the time they got to the you know, certain level, I mean, they would have burned up. But God um, wanted to teach them a lesson anyway to, to, to let them know you're not getting to me. And he confused the languages. And that's where he, you know, we got multiple different languages and things like that. And everybody couldn't understand one another. And the tower couldn't be built. Mankind has always tried to get to God. We've always tried to achieve his approval, his acceptance. We've tried to get to him, and yet we fall short. And in the same way, we continuously fall short. God gave his people 613 laws, the Mosaic law, to, to follow in order to get to him. Like, if you want to get to me, you've got to follow all of these 613 laws. And nobody could. Because the point was to show mankind that you could not get to God on your own. And then that got narrowed down to 10, just 10 laws, 10 commandments. Just, just follow these 10 commandments, and you can't even follow 10 commandments. And then it's narrowed down in the New Testament to two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we can't even do that. And so no matter our efforts, we fall short. That's why we could not be in God's presence. That's why sin could not be in God's presence. And yet, Christmas t tells us and shows us that God put on flesh and he came to us. And as we see in um, the scripture, as we saw, um, as the angel told Moses, uh, Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verses 23, see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel which is translated, God is with us. And we said last week, that is how we go from Genesis 3, from where there was a division and where man was kicked out of heaven, to Revelation chapter 21, where we see that the scripture tells us John is writing about the new heavens and the new earth, 
And in that passage, he writes that God is dwelling among mankind, and it says that we are his people and he is our God. And the question last week was, how do we get from Genesis 3, and how do we get from Exodus 33, where where Moses wanted to be in the presence of God? He wanted to see him, and God said, you can't. You can't see me. I'll let you see my backside, essentially, as I pass by, but you cannot see my full glory. How do we go from Genesis 3 and Exodus 33, where mankind could not be in the manifested presence of God, to Revelations 21, where now God dwells among us, He is our God, and we are His people? It is Emmanuel, God with us. We cannot get to Him, but He, the Son of God, put on flesh, and in the person of Jesus, He came to us. And in Isaiah 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 6, it tells us this, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. According to Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus would be known by several characteristics. Wonderful Counselor. We're talking about counselors in, in um, uh, the University of Florida. And yet we have a counselor at our disposal. Um, Mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. We can't point to, I mean, we can point to many different factors that contribute to the rise in mental health disorders, anxiety, like the constant connectivity of smartphones and social media and the negative news and all of these different things. But as I said, as, as the decrease in our valuing Christianity, our valuing a personal relationship with God, as that has, as, as, as that has increased, and as um, anxiety and worry and all of those things have increased, I would propose to you that we, it's not that we need less of Jesus, we need more of Jesus. It's not that we need less of his presence in our life because that's what's leading to these statistics. We need more of him in our life. We need the wonderful counselor. We need the mighty God. We need the eternal father. We need the prince of peace in our life. Even for those of us who are followers of Jesus. It's not just a transactional one-time thing where we say a prayer and we, we secure our eternal home in heaven and then that's kind of it that we don't live in relationship with him, we don't walk in obedience with him, that, that, that there's no relationship, it's just transactional. We talked about that last week as well. But, but in order for us to have the benefits of the presence of God in our life, we have to be in relationship with him. It has to be an intimate, personal relationship as we walk with him. That's why I prefer the term uh, follower of Jesus or uh, Jesus follower than just Christian. Nothing wrong with Christian. But, but it, it, it actually says what we are to do. We're to follow Jesus. We're to follow in his way. We're to follow his teachings. And so if you're taking notes. You can write this down. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Last week we talked about because of the manifested presence of God in our life, that it's not just God uh, among us or around us, but it's now God inside of us through the Holy Spirit. So everywhere you go, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, uh, with you, inside of you, as you live life, if you're in Christ. And so he is the wonderful counselor. That is a benefit because God has come to be 
among us. He has come to be with us and to live inside of us. And so John 14, verse 1 through 5 tells us this, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place. No, he says, if, I, if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may, also, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You can write this down as well. Jesus counsels us with truth. Jesus counsels us with truth. As Jesus is preparing for his crucifixion and his ascension back to the Father, he tells Thomas this. This is a conversation that he's having with Thomas. He tells him, don't let your heart be troubled. He's telling Thomas in this moment, the very thing that we see so many people, a third of the people that we know, a third of the people in our world, a third of the people in this congregation statistically struggle with, that anxiety, that worry. He's telling him, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't worry. Don't be nervous. Don't be uneasy. My absence will have a purpose for you. Thomas is troubled because of the unknown that is going to take place as he goes to be with the Father at the crucifixion. And so Jesus is telling him not to be troubled. He says, um, uh, in fact, this is what Thomas says to Jesus in his absence. He says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And that leads right into the very uh, root of the things that we as a people struggle with oftentimes. We don't know the way. We don't know the answer. We don't know what we don't know. We're stuck in the unknown, and that's where Thomas was. We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way to, to find you and to, to get there. He's struggling with the very thing that we see in our society is at a massive increase that, that we as the church need to address. And there's no better time to address it than Christmas because God is with us in the person of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. He has come so that just as Thomas, like we're no different than Thomas, when we doubt, when we worry, when we fear, we can actually have the solution and we can have the answer. Because there's times in our own life we don't know the way. We don't know the solution. We don't know what lies ahead of us, yet we serve the same Jesus. And in chapter 14, verses 6 through 7, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So once again, Jesus is making it known that he is Emmanuel. I, I am God. I am one with God. I, I am one with the Father. And as you have believed in him, believe in me because I am here now among you. I am with you. But I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just another man. I'm not just another teacher. I am the way. Like, if you want to get to the Father, I am the way. But I'm also the truth. I'm not just, um, you know, here to, to give you um, positive sayings and to make you feel good. Like, I am the truth. What, what I'm telling you is true. What I have taught you and what I will continue to teach you is truth. And he says, I am the life. 
And so everything that he would lack and everything that he would need and everything that mankind would lack and everything that mankind needs is found in Jesus. He is the way to the Father. He is the truth by which we can build our life. And he is the life that we so look for in this world. And so he tells him, you do not have to worry because I am the way, the truth, and the life. All Thomas has to do is follow in Jesus' ways. All he has to do is follow his teachings and everything's going to be okay. But see, what we see in our world is that anxiety is on the rise because we don't know the way. We don't know the answers. We don't know the way forward. And it's sad to see that even Christ followers find themselves trapped and have lost sight of the way. It's sad to know and to see so many Christians who, who as much as the world cast doubt and cast fear, and yet you see the world and you're like, what is the solution and what is the hope that we're proclaiming to the world when everyone's going crazy and everyone's in chaos and everyone's freaking out at every turn of everything that's happening in our world? Christians should have a firm foundation because we know the way to the Father. We know the way to salvation. We know the way to eternity. We know the way to peace. It is Christ. It is Jesus. Yet, what we see in the world is people don't know the way forward. They're trying to figure it out on their own. They're listening to the philosophies of man. They're turning to Google. They're turning to um, you know, anything and everything. And yet we see the same thing among people who profess faith in Jesus. Truth has been twisted. Even professing Christians have adopted distortions of the truth rather than what God has established as truth. That's even more sad. How many people can take the scriptures and twist it, even those who profess faith in Jesus, in order to be more palatable to the world and more accepted by the world? Why? Because we fear losing man's acceptance. We fear them not um, approving of us and not welcoming us and not embracing us. And so what do we do? We start to believe philosophies and things and ideologies that are not true. And then we wonder, because now we are thrown into this chaos of anxiety and uneasiness, I'll tell you, you will not be at at ease in this world, number one, as a Christian, because if you have the Holy Spirit in you, The Holy Spirit is going to guide you and convict you and lead you. And there's going to be things that tempt you that you're going to be uneasy. One of the most um, famous passages of Paul that I love because it speaks so well of mankind is where he's talking about being a miserable man. The things I want to do, I don't find myself doing. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself at times doing because I have this flesh still that I battle Oh, what a miserable man that I am. Anybody else can identify with that? We we will be uneasy in this world, but I'll also tell you this, that if you're a Christ follower who is twisting the truth or living by a truth that has been twisted and that is no longer a truth, and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you will then still be uneasy because you will have the Holy Spirit convicting you and telling you differently, and so you will be at unease. And what is the, one of the symptoms of anxiety? Uneasiness, nervousness, worry. And so we see this in our world. In the pursuit to find life and to better our life, 
People have abandoned the true source of life and have attempted to find it in the created things rather than in the creator of things. It's Romans 1. It's all through Scripture. I'm trying to find life. I'm trying to find something that will better my life. And so I start looking to the world and I start looking to the, 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 the prosperity. I start looking to health. I start looking to relationships. I start looking to um, success. I start looking to sex and pleasure in that way. I start looking to materialism. I start turning and uh, embracing these things, hoping that they'll give me life or a better life. And we abandon the very source of life. And so as Jesus is talking to Thomas in his own anxiety, he is giving us the solution to every one of our fears and every one of the things that we see the world around us is struggling with and dealing with. And the solution is in Christ, and it is Christ, yet we have abandoned him. We forget him in the moments of our crisis and our difficulty, professing Christians and the world alike. And that's why we, as we see anxiety on the rise, we see um, people wanting the presence of God decrease more and more and more. And it's no wonder why the two coincide with one another. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And he goes on in John 1, verses 14 and then 16 through 17, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from His fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Yes, the solution begins at salvation, but it does not end there. It continues in that intimate personal relationship that I shared with you just a moment ago. The solution is living in that relationship. It is following after Jesus. It is believing what he says, not just picking and choosing. The Bible is not a buffet where we just go and we pick and choose what fits us and what feels good to us. And I'll guarantee you that that is probably a practice of even many people in this congregation today joining us online. I will Pick and choose what fits me, what feels good to me, rather than what Jesus says. I will obey what is comfortable to me and what is convenient to me, but not the whole thing. In fact, I had a text message right before the service. It's not in my notes. It wasn't planned. But I was told that, um, oh, I didn't know you were this kind of church. And if you're here today, I'm not calling any names, but this is what was said to me. I don't believe like that kind of church. Okay, we preach the Bible here, and we say this all the time. Here's my agreement with you, and this is where we agree. This is where we have to agree as Christ followers. If there is any disagreement, because I preach the Scripture, and um, I give it to you, and I try to give it to you in context, in full context, but if we're going to disagree, we have to disagree on Scripture, not on feelings, not on opinions, not on what the media says, not on what I feel and what I um, have an opinion about. But if we're going to disagree, we have to disagree on God's word. So instead of just saying, well, I don't believe this, it's I don't believe this according to the scripture here. I don't believe this according to what God's word says here, not because I feel this way. 
or this makes me uncomfortable, or I don't, I don't understand how God could do this, or believe this, or he could this. It's not for us to understand. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so we are to align ourselves with God's word. And when we don't, it is no wonder why we would be uneasy. It would be no wonder why we're nervous. Why? Because we don't have the way. We're not guiding our life by the truth. See, when I guide my life by the truth, I can, I can stand firm and I can have confidence. I'm living according to God's word and I know that he will be faithful to his word. And so I don't see it now. It might not happen in my timing, but I can trust the God of the Bible and I can trust the God that Christ was when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I can know that as I'm walking with him and I'm obeying him and I'm following him, it's all going to work for my good and for his glory. And so I'm just going to continue on. I'm going to continue consistent walking according to his word. So that is the solution. It is salvation because that's where we get the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to empower us, to give us self-control, to give us spiritual insight. But then it is our responsibility to walk in obedience because Jesus is our way He supplies our truth or the truth, because it's not my truth and your truth, but our truth should be his truth. And he leads us into all life. He leads us into the very thing that we look to this world to try to find. And he says, I don't just give you life. I give you abundant life, life to the full. And so all of this anxiety and worry and uneasiness, that's not the life. That doesn't come from God. That's not what he intended for us. And yes, there are clinical, um, chemical imbalances. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're not, but those are more rare than the circumstantial, circumstantial anxiety. There is a reason anxiety is on the rise and it's not chemical. It's, it's not an imbalance. So yes, there are rare cases where there are situations where medication, and I'm a firm believer, I've worked in um, substance abuse field, and I've worked among many different people, and just as someone can be born with half an arm, you can be born with a mental disorder, with with something wrong with your mind. Absolutely. But that's more rare compared to the 25% global increase in one year from 2020 to 2021 that we're seeing. That, that's rare compared to what we saw from 1990 to 2013 in the 50% increase in mental disorders. That, that's rare. It's, it's a speck in, the, in the, 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 the sand on the seashore of cases that we see on the rise. And the reason we see it on the rise is because we're not living according to that which gives us, gives us life and peace. And so to overcome anxiety, one must have an eternal perspective. To overcome anxiety, one must have an eternal perspective. Matthew 6, 25 through 34, one of the most famous passages of scripture that talks about worry says, don't worry about your life. I mean, you could end it right there. He doesn't, but you could. Don't worry about your life. That gets into the, the mighty God, which I didn't have time for today, and I don't know if I'll have time for tomorrow, but it gets right into the mighty God and trusting that God is sovereign, and, and he holds our life in his hands, as he tells us in John chapter 10. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? I wonder how many of you look younger because you spend your time worrying. Probably look older. How how many of you are going to live longer now because you have given over to anxiety? This is coming from Jesus. How many of you can add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Today, we could say instead of Gentiles, we could say the world, because that's who Gentiles were representative of. That's what the world does. They're worrying about these things. They're pursuing these things, thinking it's going to give them life and a better life. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I know you've heard this before, but it's simple. Worry is misplaced trust. You can write that down. Worry is misplaced trust. Faith in Jesus is properly placed trust. Worry is misplaced trust. Faith in Jesus is properly placed trust. This is why Jesus said, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Don't seek the clothes. Don't seek the food. Don't seek the wealth. Don't seek those things thinking that they're going to give you life, thinking that they're going to be your hope, thinking that they're going to solve your problems. Seek first the kingdom of God. And he even said to doubt this, oh, you of little faith. It is faith in Jesus that is properly placed trust not in the things of the world, not in your doctor, not in your medicine, not in your food, not in your job, not in anything of this world. It is placing your faith in Christ and seeking first his kingdom and what he desires for your life above all else. And when you do that, he promises that he will supply all of your needs, not all of your wants, not all of your desires even, but all of your needs. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Whether or not we believe that, whether or not we believe it enough to live it and to practice it, because I believe when we don't, that's why we see the increase in anxiety. That's why we see the increase in worry and uneasiness and nervousness, because we're not banking our life. It's the the shifting sands when the storm comes. We have nothing solid to stand on, but you can have a solid, firm foundation in the way, in the truth, and in the life of Jesus. The truth is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then the rest of this will be added to you. That's the truth. Do you believe it? See, because he's telling us not to place our faith and our trust in earthly things, 
including our ability to control our circumstances and our outcomes, but instead to place it in his eternal kingdom as priority, trusting that he is faithful to his promises to provide and to take care of you. Jesus sums up most of what we worry about in this passage, our provision, our comfort, and the longevity of our lives. Don't worry, don't worry about your, your, your body. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about any of those things. Look at all of creation and how I take care of them. And Jesus didn't come to die for the birds. He didn't come to die for the, 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 the flowers and the grass of the field. He came to die for people, for mankind, for his people. And so he says, look at all of that and look how God cares for it. How much more do you think he'll care for you when he gave his only begotten son for you? All right, I'm going to give up my only son. He's going to die for you, but then I'm going to abandon you and I'm just going to leave you to figure it out on your own. No, he loves us. He will take care of us, but it's having an eternal perspective. We think that this is all there is to life. We have a temporal earthly perspective. That's why we don't, we're not generous. That's why we don't serve. That's why we don't share our faith. That's why we don't make spiritual things a priority. We, we have to squeeze it all into this lifespan. This, is, this life is preparation for the next life, for eternal life in the presence of God for eternity, Revelation chapter 21. And so here we're preparing for that. Here we're helping people understand how they can be in the presence of God for eternity. Here we're here to serve the eternal kingdom of God. But when your focus is on the here and the now, and what you can fit into the here and the now in this temporary, it's going to stir up anxiety and unease in you because you think you got to get it all figured out here and now. But yet this is a speck in eternity. We have so much more ahead of us in the presence of God for eternity, it's all going to be okay. If it, don't, if it doesn't get solved here, you have heaven and the presence of God to look forward to. And as I close, I want to point this out because Jesus asked a question, and how we answer that question determines how we handle the things in life that most often lead to anxiety. And it's this. He asked, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Can you, how would you answer that, that, that question that Jesus asked? Isn't your life more than the things of this earth? Isn't your life more than the temporary things that you pursue here in the here and the now? What is your life's purpose? Is it to glorify God? Is it to live for his renown? Is it to, to point people to him for their own salvation? What is the purpose of your life? Isn't life more than these earthly things? That's what Jesus asked us. And I believe that if we can say, yes, it's about heaven. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about eternity. It's about all those things that when we go through those difficulties, when we face those things that could lead to our worry and our nervousness and our uneasiness, we can understand and that this is not the final chapter of it all, that this is not the purpose of it all. And so if it doesn't go my way, it's okay because I have heaven to look forward to in the presence of God and in the presence of my Savior. And so it's all going to be okay. That's far more than anything that I deserve, far more than anything that I, have, I am worthy of. And so do you want to find freedom from anxiety 
decide where you'll place your trust. Will it be in Jesus's way? Will it be that you trust his truth? Or will it be in politicians? Will it be in your career, in your finances, in how your kids turn out, in your family matters, whatever, the things of this earth? Where will you place your trust? Because it all will matter in the quality of your life. It will all matter in how you live that life for the glory of God. As I prepare to pray, I'm going to encourage you, maybe you've been placing your faith in everything but Jesus. Today, I want you to know he came so that you can have life and you can have it to the full. He died on the cross for your sins so that you might have life, so that you don't have to worry about the things of the earth, but you can have a confidence of a future hope where God dwells among us and he is our God and we are his people. And today the Bible says that with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right where you're at today, you can call out to him. You can confess that you're a sinner. You can confess that you need him. You can confess that you believe and trust in him to be your savior and your Lord and that you're going to follow after him. And the Bible says he will save you. He will make you new, make you brand new. And you can begin that walk and begin that life where you can have that hope and you can have that peace and that contentment. And so I hope if that's you today, if the Spirit's calling on you, that you will answer. But maybe you're already a Christ follower and you've taken your eyes off of the way and you've not been grounding your decisions or your thoughts in the truth. And you've forgotten where you got your life from and you're looking for it elsewhere. Today, I'm going to encourage you. Maybe it's a moment of repentance. Maybe it's a moment of renewal where you ask God to help you to refocus on um, Him and on Christ and to have that eternal perspective that it's not all about the here and the now, but Christ came so that we can live forever in Him. And that begins on this earth. And so even in your most anxious of moments, you can have peace. And so in this moment, have that conversation with God. Whatever he's speaking to you, speak to him. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you do not leave us to deal with the worries of this world on our own. God, it is evident that these things are on the rise, and yet we as the church and we as Christians have the answer. And Lord, while the world looks at us, I pray that we would be a people that they can see the solution living in us and through us, that we would not be amongst the chaos and the worry and the fear, that, that, Lord, when they look at us, they would see contentment, they would see peace, because no matter what happens in this earth, you have already secured our future with you for eternity. And so we can be at peace, because it's not all about the here and now. And so, Father, if, there, if any one of us has taken our eyes off of Christ as being the way and the truth and the life, may we refocus, may we recommit ourselves to trusting in Him and not in ourselves, trusting in Christ and not in our own um, ideologies or thoughts or beliefs, to trust in Him, not in the, the systems of this world. And Father, I do pray that if there's one here today that they don't know you, that in this moment they would call out to you, that your spirit would speak to them and draw them to yourself. I thank you that you love us, and that's why you give us the, the, the solution to all of life's problems, and you give it to us in Christ. 
It's in his name that I pray. Amen.